Welcome to Periop Talk, where we discuss how we can make surgery safer together, one podcast at a time. From Q&As with AORN guideline authors, to interviews with OR nurses just like you. Our goal is to always leave you with an action item to take back to your OR. I'm Brooke Keith with AORN. Today, our guest is Mary Jo Steyert, past president of AORN, and our subject is the surgical checklist at its 10th anniversary. To give some context, back in 2008, healthcare providers were focused on identifying what patient safety initiatives could have the most impact. The World Health Organization convened its second international gathering of healthcare providers, where they were challenged with coming up with something tangible that would improve safety for surgical patients. Our guest today, Mary Jo Steyer, was AORN's president back then. She and AORN's current CEO, Linda Groh, were both invited to take part at the WHO's gathering in Geneva, Switzerland. Mary Jo, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I can't deny it was very exciting to be invited to be part of such a critical piece of work for perioperative practice and for the safety of our patients. Linda Groh and I were both happy and excited to represent AORN, and as we arrived in Geneva, we discovered that there were only six other nurses who had also been invited to participate in this conference, along with approximately 117 physicians who were surgeons, anesthesia providers, and there was one patient advocate. So what came out of the meeting was a broad consensus around a process that, even though it seemed extremely simple, could make a big difference in patient safety, and that was the checklist. But it wasn't all smooth sailing, was it? The biggest hurdle was convincing our surgeon colleagues that this was necessary and very important because, of course, it was a change, and they felt like it was going to take time and delay the process of beginning their procedure. Over time, when other medical and surgical groups adopted the safe surgery checklist and we began to have data published about the significance of using the checklist, more and more came on board. They also began to realize that it really didn't take that much time out of getting the case started. Another challenge that I faced, and I'm sure many of my colleagues would agree, was getting the entire OR team engaged, making sure that everybody was together, that they were around the patient on the table, they were focusing on the patient and what was going to happen to the patient before they dropped the knife. We've all read the reports that the checklist protocols have averted potential problems. At the same time, events like wrong site surgeries happen every week. Why do you think that is? One of the biggest obstacles and reasons for having uh, sentinel events occur is simply not using the checklist. We have it there for a reason. Sometimes our teams get into a hurry and they think, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know what's going on with this patient. Let's just get started. We had an incident in my facility about a year ago. As passionate as I am about making sure that everyone on my team is familiar with the checklist and implements the checklist, there was one incident where it didn't happen. A wrong site block was inserted in the preoperative area and the patient surgery had to be canceled. 
And in doing our root cause analysis, the team admitted we didn't use the checklist. We just started without it because we were being pressured into getting the case started. That's when mistakes happen is when we decide to break away from established systems that we know work. And the checklist will work if we use it. With healthcare constantly changing, can you tell me some of the ways the surgical checklist has adapted over the past 10 years? The checklist has evolved over the years, and I think many facilities have made adaptations so that it will fit with the procedures and the type of facility that they practice in. One example is for eye surgery. Many centers have developed an addition to the checklist for cataracts to make sure that the correct measurements are described, the correct implant for the correct eye, because implanting in the incorrect eye has been another major component of those sentinel events. I believe that another way in which the checklist has evolved is in the attitude of the team. We have noticed a difference in the newer surgeons as they come out of their fellowship and residency programs. They're accustomed to using the checklist on every procedure that they do, be it at the bedside or in the operating room. That's affected some of our older surgeons as well. They have recognized that the checklist really does work, that it doesn't take that much more time, and that will protect the care of their patients. If you could recommend something that our listeners could do to make the process more effective, what would that be? The area of the checklist that still needs focused attention is the debriefing. Oftentimes, the debriefing happens when the surgical team is not complete. I would recommend and encourage circulating nurses to be proactive and start the debriefing process before any of the team members leave the room to ensure that we have all of our questions answered about this particular procedure, knowing that for the next one, the next patient that we care for, any process improvements that need to be made will take place. All the medication will be reconciled and secured, improving our plans in taking care of our patients in the operating room. That's great advice. You're saying we need to devote more time and attention to the debrief after surgery, and that it's important to identify those things we do right or that we need to do better to the next patient. Absolutely. Mary Jo, we appreciate the behind-the-scenes look at the development of the checklist. Before we let you go, do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share? Having been a perioperative nurse before the checklist was implemented and after the checklist has been implemented, I have seen a real difference in the care that we can provide our patients. We just need to keep using it. Mary Jo, thanks for being part of our first podcast. It's been the perfect way to recognize the Surgical Checklist 10th anniversary. Thank you. It was fun, and I always appreciate talking about the checklist. For more information on AORN's Comprehensive Surgical Checklist, which incorporates items from both the WHO's list and the Joint Commission's Universal Protocol, visit our website at AORN.org. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll share this podcast with your colleagues. I'm Brooke Keith. Please join us again next time for Periop Talk.